Kansas faces ranked Colorado on Saturday in an attractive non-conference game at Allen Fieldhouse, and the Jayhawks are feeling pretty good about themselves after the events of last week. They went to Maui and swept three games. The championship game victory in overtime over Dayton was a thriller, and KU beat writer Jesse Newell was there. He stopped by the studio to discuss Jayhawk hoops on Sportsbeat KC, presented by Big O Tires. It's Wednesday, December 4th, and I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. And because it's Wednesday, we'll hear from Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. He met the media today and covered plenty of topics, but mostly this week's big game at New England against Tom Brady and the Patriots. We'll run his weekly meeting with reporters in its entirety. But first, let's hear about the Maui Wowie performance by the Jayhawks. Jesse Newell covers KU for the Star and the Wichita Eagle, and he's here. This is the first time we've had a chance to talk, Jesse, since the Maui Invitational, or is it the Jim Maui, Jim Maui, Maui, Jim, Jim Maui Invitational? <laughs> Pretty close, yes. It's, one of the, it's somewhere in there. Um, Kansas won that tournament, and i got to tell you, I watched that game, the championship game from a sports bar near my home, Place was packed. You had K State fans and KU fans because K State played started about an hour later. So, um, but even Kansas State fans who were watching the first half of their game were just um, glued to the the set, the KU game. It was that compelling and that interesting. A lot to talk about. I know it's you know we're, we're several days after, and, and we'll get to the upcoming game, big game against Colorado here soon. But I I I, would, I couldn't wait to talk to you about the Kansas State game. Because it was so much fun to watch and so tense, and playing it in a little gym in Maui kind of added to the atmosphere and the ambiance. And I could see it on, I could feel it on TV. Yeah, and for those people who haven't been to Maui, it is sort of kind of like a, a bucket list place, just because it is so unique, and kind of a lot of factors come together to create that. Um, you know, we're a couple blocks away from the Sprint Center here, talking Blair, and I think a lot of times those crowds are really bad because. Uh, it just seems like everybody's kind of around their buddies and they don't really want to cheer and it's kind of uncool to cheer or stand up or be excited. Unless Iowa State and KU are playing in the Big 12 tournament. Which is exactly the point I was going to get to, which is, so Dayton brings like half of the city of Dayton with them and KU obviously brings their fans. So you have a gym that has a, a low ceiling that has about 2,000 seat capacity. So you have 1,000 crazy fans on one side and 1,000 crazy fans on the other side. So, like, even before the game starts, there's a let's go Dayton chant. And then two minutes later, there's a let's go Jayhawks chant. And it's like both sides are trying to one-up each other. Not only that, you're in paradise. I mean, everybody's in a great mood. And the stakes are not that high. It's just sort of fun basketball. It's not like March Madness where everybody's so tense. Oh, my gosh, if you lose this game, the season's over with. It's like, it's November. If you win, then great. If you lose, okay, there's a you know, few, more, few more months of the season to go. So you add all that up, and it really is one of the best atmospheres for college basketball if there's the entire season. I mean, you just add those factors together. And so, um, yeah, what you saw on, on the sports bar was uh, exactly what it was like in person. It was super loud. Bill Self said it was one of the most helpless he's one of the most helpless times he's felt coaching just because it was so loud in the building. It was hard for him to get uh, communication to his players, even from the bench a few feet away. So, yes, uh, amazing atmosphere, amazing game, and uh, KU prevails in overtime. But uh, I think both sides left that one probably feeling pretty good about themselves. And a lot to talk about in that game. You you wrote a lot about it. You and Gary Bedore both did. Um, I, I, don't, I guess I don't know where to start um, because I, I – Typically, we would start about how the game ended, how it got to overtime. But I want to—I st- actually want to start at the beginning of the game, when Dayton came out and was on fire from th- from the three. I, I, I kind of had flashbacks to the Auburn NCAA tournament game uh, that where Auburn 
you know, never cooled off and just ran away from KU. Dayton came out, I think, made first five, five triples. Five, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and Kansas was, and they were, they were open looks, largely open looks. So what, what does that tell us about KU? Well, and you mentioned the Auburn game, how they got eliminated last year. If you go two years back, I'm sure you remember that game, which was the Villanova game, which obviously also, obviously also had a lot of three-pointers go down in that one as well. This one was probably a little more similar to the Villanova game, to be honest with you, because Dayton, which is rare for college basketball, had five different guys who could shoot threes at all five positions, which is similar to Villanova had. And it makes a very difficult matchup for Yudoka Azubuki because even when KU's playing four guards, Azubuki has to guard somebody. And if you remember that game, you know, at some point, KU kind of just had to take Azubuki out. Get him out, be, right. Because, and so for Kansas, they kind of started in a defense where Azubuki was kind of patrolling the lane. But again, it left somebody open on the perimeter, and Dayton was very happy to take those shots. And um, big picture-wise, you know, we can get to more discussions of this later, but this Kansas team looks to be pretty good defensively. Um, they've got length. They've got guys who can slide. They have a rim protector in the back, and you don't have Azubuki. Um, you know, Devon Dotson is quick and can get steals. Marcus Garrett has great instincts. Um, all these things put together, but that's really the one bugaboo is that they allow a lot of three-point shots. And when other teams make those shots, it looks like Dayton, and it's a very competitive game. Now, I'll also say the other side of that coin, which is, KU kind of did the same thing against BYU. BYU missed those shots, and KU comes away with a blowout victory. So it seems like, you know, maybe two parts for one part, like two games you're going to have the other teams miss them, and you're going to win pretty easily. And then the one game that, that the other team makes them, you could be in serious trouble on any given night. So for Kansas, um, guarding a five-out look is very difficult when you're trying to play even one big in Yudoka Azubuki. So for Kansas, down the stretch, they finally um, they tried zone, they tried you know, different things in there. And then finally, Bill Self got to where he switched all five spots late. And he even admitted afterwards that, hey, I should have done that earlier. You know, it was my fault for not doing that earlier. But KE was somewhat successful doing that late against Dayton to kind of at least get out to shooters, even if there was mismatches like a point guard on David McCormick, things like that. But they were at least able to limit those three-point shots a little bit late. And because of that, that kind of helped them get the victory. So I think with about five minutes, to, was it about five minutes left when Dayton had the eight-point lead? Yeah, I think it was around the eight-minute mark. Okay, eight-minute mark. And I, and I thought, okay, Look, you know, as you said, it's low stakes. It would have been, yeah. it's, it'd been a nice win, uh, but low stakes, and, and, and Kansas will end up losing this game. I thought Dayton at that point started taking some uh, questionable shots three, early in the shot clock and kind of rushed three-pointers that, that helped Kansas get back in it. And I've, I've said this all along. In Azubuki, Kansas has the player nobody else has. And they took advantage of that as they were um, as they were mounting their comeback at the end of regulation. So, t tell me about how Azubuki affected the game. Well, I, I just wrote about this on a, a blog that was posted at KansasCity.com. I put five uh, things that you might might have missed from the KU Dayton game. So, some of these kind of behind the scenes things and. One of the main keys in there that I talked about was the benefit of having a holiday tournament, which is for Kansas, they're so used when they get to Big 12 play, Bill Self runs these plays. He's run a lot of them over and over again. But when you face Oklahoma State for the second or third time in a season, these plays don't work because Oklahoma State has you scouted and the other team knows what plays are coming. Well, if you're Dayton and you come into this tournament, you're not expecting to play Kansas. You know what I mean? Even if you wanted to do some prep work before, um, you're thinking, okay, Michigan State in the semis, you're hoping to play them a good game, but you're not thinking, okay, Kansas, Kansas, Kansas. So third game in, third, in three days for Dayton, um, 
they aren't ready for what Kansas runs. And so you saw Udoka really take over because Kansas was running their sets and doing things where in later games, I promise you, in January, February, Udoka's not going to get that position. He's not going to be dunking the ball. But for Dayton, they're not ready for it. They just, I mean, you have 18 hours to prepare, whatever the case may be. So in those sorts of matchups, in those sorts of games, Udoka can really take over. KU did a good job of getting the ball, executing. I know I wrote about Marcus Garrett doing a lot of things late to be able to get him the ball. But um, Bill Self, uh, great job calling plays. And then, again, they were working for Kansas, but working for Kansas a lot because Dayton, if they had a game or a day or two more to prepare for that, might not work as well. But for Kansas, you, you got to take credit for executing the plays and doing them right. And Udoka was the beneficiary of that for uh, most of that game. So as the uh, as regulation is winding down and Kansas takes the lead, and it looks like Kansas has a pretty good chance to win this in regulation. I'm thinking, Azubuki's going to be the MVP of of the event. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll you know he's, it, at that point he had his whatever it was 29 or whatever it was, uh, had good numbers and had dominated, and he'll be the MVP. Dayton throws in the long three pointer to send it to overtime, and then Devon Dotson. Uh, plays really well in the extra period. He ends up becoming the the most valuable player of the Maui Invitational. Yeah, they shared it, and but of oh, course, okay. Yudoka Azubuki. Uh, they asked him afterwards who was going to get the trophy, and Yudoka <laughs> said, "I am," and Devon <laughs> said, "He is." So and that's kind of how that thing went in the post game. Okay, I didn't realize that. I thought it was uh, I didn't, good. Okay, they deserved it. They actually deserved to share it. I, I would think. And uh, Dave Odom, as you know very well, he's run the Maui Invitational yep. for a long time. You know, long time coach, and he kind of commented from the back row, like, "We'll get you both." So th- there will be one of those trophies on both of their mantles at some point. Uh, Devon will not have to fight Udoka for that one. By the way, uh, running the Maui Invitational, nice job. You know, nice job. It's a good gig. You know, um, anytime you're in Maui, it's a good gig. Um, me and Gary had a good gig this last week, so uh, I'm not going to deny any of these things that uh, that happened. But yeah, it is it is paradise for a reason, and the weather there was absolutely perfect. <sighs> Sorry, man. Uh, I'm glad you glad you're able to go. And uh, okay, you you brought up Marcus Garrett's name, and I, listen, I, I absolutely love the, uh, the the story that you wrote the night of the game uh, after the game about just a singular moment, in and it was in the overtime period, and it was not Marcus Garrett scoring, uh, handling the basketball. It was Marcus Garrett being a veteran and directing traffic, which led to a bucket that was pretty important to what uh, what Kansas was about. Marcus Garrett was had four fouls at the time and was in foul trouble much of the second half in the, in the extra period. But that moment on the floor was pretty critical to, uh, to, to Kansas' success. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of times it can – be difficult to break through my cold analytic heart here where, you know, hey, this guy brings intangibles or this guy brings the small things or Bill Self has trust in you so you play. And sometimes, you know, I kind of roll my eyes at that sort of stuff. But um, this was a very real thing. And this is exactly why Bill Self trusts Marcus Garrett. Um, crazy moment, like I talked about, Bill Self said that in this particular game, it was so loud and I was there. It was very, very loud that he had difficulty communicating with his team, even from a few feet away. So. What happens is basically KU runs a play that they had worked on before. They just got an alley-oop off of it. Marcus Garrett gets the ball, uses the ball screen. Dayton defends it differently. And so at that point, if you're a freshman or whatever, okay, I'm just going to put my head down and drive it and make or you know, miss a, a wild shot. Or I'm going to try to get the ball to Udoka no matter what and maybe turn it over. Marcus backed it out. They reset something up. Bill Self calls a different play. And then again, this is frantic. This is chaos right now. The fans are going wild. Dayton's fans are coming to their feet. And... Um, Bill Self calls a different play, and you and I'm sorry, Ochai Abaji's in the wrong spot. 
And so for Kansas, this play is going to break down most likely because the floor spacing is not there. So again, in frantic moments, you probably just go with the play, you do whatever. But Marcus was the one who initiates the play. So he just stopped. He didn't move. And he just said, basically pointed and said, Ochai this way, Ochai this way. And Ochai couldn't hear Bill Self because the crowd was going wild. And finally he got Ochai's attention and goes, okay. And so he ran to the opposite corner. Marcus Garrett then runs the play. Still plenty of time on the shot clock to do this. Uh, fakes the ball screen. Devon Dotson gets a driving lane because of it. The floor space. Ochai's man can't help because he's in the right spot. Uh, and Devon Dotson gets a layup. So again, those are small things, but they're big things. And you could easily see a lot of different ways for that play to go wrong for Kansas. But yet Marcus Garrett being on the floor and being kind of a coach on the floor to help KU in this moment, uh, like I said before, it's exactly the reason why Bill Self, when he gets trust in a player like that or believes that there is somebody out there who sees the game the same way that he does, uh, that person is going to find playing time here in crunch time. And for this moment, Marcus Garrett definitely deserved that because of the calming influence he was on that play, able to get KU two points in a really crucial scenario. And as you pointed out in the story, uh, Bill Self, um, the, the communication wasn't there. Bill Self actually kind of put his hands behind his head, yeah. like, I, I, you know, you run, you're on your own, right? <laughs> and make, make it work. And that's a helpless feeling as a coach to be like, you can try to prepare, you can try to X's and O's, and you can try to call timeouts and get everything in your control. And that's what you want is everything in your control. But again, this was a moment where it was out of his control. I mean, the noise was there, and you're basically stuck with the five guys you have on the court for them to figure things out. And because Kansas had one guy on the court who not only knew his assignment on a play, but knew all five guys' assignments, where they were supposed to be, and that one of those pieces was off on the chessboard, stopped, got that guy over, got everybody in the right place, and still ran the play. And again, didn't panic, wasn't a heated moment, wasn't a chaotic moment, and just completely calmly got everything in place. KU ran the play, KU got the layup. It's a big moment for Kansas. And like you said, it wasn't the pass, it wasn't the shot, it wasn't any of those things, but it just shows you the value of Marcus Garrett when he's out there. Be sure to refer to the show notes. The link to, to Jesse's story is, is there. All right, Jesse, it's a long layoff for, for Kansas. We're in the midst of it right now. Um, Kansas won that game on when, on a Wednesday and they don't play again until this Saturday. So a space of, what, nine or 10 days yeah. between games for for the Jayhawks. But it's an interesting game and should be a very competitive game against a ranked team. Uh, the Colorado Buffaloes come to Allen Field as number 20 this week, one spot ahead of, by the way, Dayton, which debuted at number 19 in, in the poll this week and fully deserved it. Mm-hmm. I was so impressed with Dayton. But, but anyway, Colorado comes to town, coached by Tad Boyle, former Kansas Jayhawk, uh, and and this should be a terrific game. It should be, and KU uh, gets a little benefit here by playing it at Allen Fieldhouse. Um, it's difficult to play in Colorado, and I know that's something that coaches don't want to bring up as an excuse for their players, but it's been shown over time, elevation is one of the biggest things that can create home court advantage because you start to get in the second half, you start to breathe a little heavy and that oxygen is not coming to you just because of the different circumstances. But you're right, Tad Boyle, a former uh, KU guy, obviously about the same age as Bill Self, um, both of them having uh, you know, KU ties uh, back in their past. But uh, this Colorado team is playing great defense so far. You know, the team that turned you over, really good on the defensive boards. And Tad, I, it's sort of interesting. He's, he's almost kind of a little bit to me like Mark Kersian, where he's the former KU guy who... It seems like Colorado's always receiving votes. You know what I mean? Yeah, like they're always yeah. like 26th or 27th in the poll. Uh, this team has able, been able to kind of transcend that a little bit and get all the way up to number 20. But you're right, it should be a good test of the field house. I mean, honestly, if you're looking at some of the advanced rankings, Colorado and Dayton are probably about in the same ballpark. And so for Kansas, they'll probably be a 
seven, eight, nine point favorite in this game. And, and it's a game where if you don't play well, you can lose. And I know it's special for Tad to always come back to Lawrence and, and uh, see former players and people that uh, are familiar faces to him. But uh, this is a game better than any other or more than any other that he's played against Kansas where the Buffaloes have a real shot at winning. Probably their best non-conference home game, I suspect. I don't have their schedule in front of me. And I know they go to Villanova um, later and they're Oh, and Tennessee comes to town in the, in the SEC Challenge in January. I was going to say, yeah, before Christmas it would be. Yeah, you're right. Tennessee is probably the only other one that would be in that conversation. And KU played some competitive teams. You know, UNC Greensboro was good. East Tennessee State yes. uh, is another good team. Both of those uh, teams from the same conference. But, yeah, Colorado and Tennessee are, are a clear level above that, and those will be the two marquee ones for those KU basketball fans who have season tickets. Colorado's got a guy who um, maybe is – voted most likely to record a triple-double this year, a guy named Tyler Bay. He's a guard, 6'7 guard, who leads the team in scoring, rebounding, and is second in assists. One of those do-everything guys, which if you're a low-possession type team, you love a guy like this. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at his numbers right here across the board where number one in the nation in defensive rebounding percentage, top 10 in fouls drawn per 40 minutes can get to the free throw line. Like you said, pass the ball, block shots, steals. I mean, this guy's uh, absolutely filling up the, the stat sheet for Colorado. So that'll be a good test. And, you know, that's kind of two in a row for KU because as you saw from from Dayton, uh, Obi Topin, that's... Oh my gosh. He is, he's a player, man. Like, yep. that's, a, that's a guy, if you can figure out a way to guard him, then you you are probably in pretty good shape to, to figure out a, another guy who kind of in that 6-7 range who can, uh, you know, play both inside and outside. So, yeah, I expect KU to, to put one of those long wings on um, on Bay again, you know, say somebody like Ochai Abaji. And that's, again, that's really the benefit that this Kansas team has is just every position they're long. I mean, I, I know Devon Dotson is only, you know, whatever, 6'1 or 6'2, so I guess he's not a tall, tall longer, but you got Ochai Abaji, super athletic, 6'5. You've got um, Isaiah Moss has got some size at 6'5, 6'6 when he's in there. And then obviously Udoka in the back, and then Tristan Aruna with this 6'9 and with the seven foot wingspan. I mean, they have some guys who can extend and really get out on you, and they have some options for these versatile players where in the past you might have looked at this and said, ooh, who's Kansas going to throw on this guy? This year they've got a lot of guys, and I didn't even mention Marcus Garrett, who is probably the most versatile defender on the team. Up to number two in the polls uh, this week. So it's two versus 20. It's a 6 p.m. tip at Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday. Jesse, thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again next week. Sounds good, Blair. When it comes to saving you money on tires, nobody does it better than Big O Tires. Like saving you up to $120 on select sets of Goodyear, Yokohama, Pirelli, and Continental tires now through November 3rd. That's $70 off instantly, plus up to $50 back by mail-in rebate when you purchase using your Big O Tires card. Hurry into Big O Tires and see how much you can save. Big O Tires, the team you trust. For the location nearest you, go to BigOtires.com. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer 
to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. As he does every Wednesday, Patrick Mahomes met with reporters at the Chiefs training complex. Most of the questions centered around Sunday's game at New England between division leaders. We also heard Mahomes' thoughts on last year's two meetings against the Patriots. Did he watch tape of the AFC title game? And how long does he believe six-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady will play? Here's Patrick Mahomes. Patrick, do you remember what the feeling was like when you were on the sideline watching Tom Brady win the game last year? I mean, do you remember what you felt like? And do you at all use that as a fire for this game? Uh, I mean, obviously, when you lose to a team, you're going to want to beat them the next time that you you play them. But, uh, I mean, I remember being on the sideline and, and having full confidence that our defense was going to make the stop. And they they got really close to us several times on that drive. And so, I mean, you never feel like you're – that you never had that defeated feel until after the game is over, I guess you would say. I mean, we I had the utmost confidence the defense was going to get that stop in, the, in that position, and uh, we just camped a little short. Yeah, I think it was a, a mixture of both. I mean, I feel like we, we had a, a game plan where we felt like we could move the pocket and make stuff happen on the perimeter. And then there was times where I, where I kind of scrambled and tried to make stuff happen as well. But, uh, I mean, it, it just kind of goes with the game plan and, and how we feel that we can uh, attack opposing defenses. Since returning to the lineup, how comfortable do you feel stepping up and with the pocket? Because I know, obviously, that's probably a little bit of an adjustment. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel confident. I mean, we've kind of gotten our, our our whole O-line group back now, and so I feel like I've gotten better and better at stepping up. I think as seasons go on, uh, I kind of mentioned it during the bye week, I feel like there's sometimes I drift back, and I just have to keep working on keeping hitching and hitching in the pocket whenever I, I have a clean pocket so I can make those throws downfield. What is your takeaway from watching uh, Lamar Jackson as well as Deshaun Watson and the success that they had against the Patriots this season? Yeah, I mean, obviously when you, you see teams that are able to move the ball and score points against a defense of this caliber, you, you watch and see what the what are the things that they did. And I think the biggest thing was whenever they had their opportunities, they hit them. And I think that that's a big thing is that they're not going to give us a lot of opportunities. I mean, they're, they're a very good defense and very sound with what they do. And so it's about taking what's there. And then whenever you get the big shot, the big play, then make sure you hit that and, uh, and score touchdowns when you do. Patrick, we know Derek Dieter is one of your best buds. How's that going to be with him now on the practice squad this week? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's different. I mean, it's a business. You understand kind of how the the game and how the NFL works. Uh, obviously, he's a he's a good friend of mine. But uh, I mean, just, you kind of have to just keep rolling with a big week ahead of us. Patrick, how good is it to have Spencer back on the squad? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really good to have someone that can come in with familiarity with the offense and uh, and uh, someone that you know can go out there and, and run and get the tough yards and also catch the ball coming out of the backfield. And you don't you don't have to worry about him having to figure out protections because he's been in this offense and understands and he's played against his team and he understands how to kind of help you out in the in the backfield protection wise as well in terms of protections patrick i know last year playing the, the patriots twice they did a lot of different things at both games just how much of that experience will help you and the offensive line understand what you may see given how different they sort of play week to week yeah, it's it, it's definitely it's helped me out even to this season in general. The way they they've presented different things that maybe were we didn't expect or that they kind of did that were unscouted looks and being able to adjust on the fly. I mean, it's it's a team that they're going to have stuff that they that we necessarily didn't prepare for because they're going to do stuff that they haven't done maybe in a, in two or three years. And so we we've watched the tape, we've went back and tried to look at everything that they could possibly do. But whenever we get these unscouted looks, it's about me finding the best way to get us into the best play and not take these negative 
plays and still keep the offense moving. Can you explain whether it was back in October last year or even in the AFC Championship game, what that feeling is like as a quarterback when you know it's a good defense and you see something that, oh, I haven't seen yet? What's that feeling like for you as you're trying to get the snap off but also get the team in the right position? Yeah, I mean, you just have to try to quiet your mind, I think, is the biggest thing. I mean, you, you have to understand that you can't be perfect every single time, even though you want to be. Uh, and you have to just find ways to get the ball out of your hand. I mean, the good thing about this team is we have so many playmakers that I don't have to be perfect every single time. I can just get the ball to guys like Tyreek or Kelsey or Sammy or all these guys and that they can make plays happen. And so that's something that I think I learned uh, after the first time I played these guys where I was maybe holding the ball uh, a little bit too uh, too long. And I try to adjust to that when I, we play them in the playoffs. And whenever we play them this year, I'll try to do the same things. Pat, one thing you've tapped into, I think especially this year, has been the uh, free plays. Just what's been the key with the cadence and how do you think you've been accomplishing that so frequently? Yeah, I think it's just kind of trying to catch the teams off guard. I mean, we, we try to change the cadence and do different things as as much as possible so teams can get the, the jump off the ball that, that they want. But uh, uh, just trying to find ways to just find any advantage that you can to, to get get yards. And then in this league, those little things can be huge at the end of the games. Wait, has asked about the – um, the, the different defenses that maybe you're going to see something you haven't seen, does that change your film work at all? I mean, just because you might not, it might not appear in film, so what's the point? Or do, do you go back even further years than you might on the normal team? Yeah, I think we we all we always kind of go back and see how they've played us, and especially teams that we've played a, a lot of times to a few years back and stuff like that. But uh, I think the the biggest thing that I learned, uh, I think the difference between the first time I played these guys and the second time is to not get rattled, just to kind of ex- kind of see what it is, understand that it might be an unscouted look, and just find the best ways to get us into the best way that I think that we can get positive yards on. How much time did you spend watching that AFC Championship game from last year? Uh, I mean, obviously, I watched it right after we played them just to kind of see what – see what. I mean, even though we, we didn't have another game, I wanted to still learn from that game and get as get as much as I can going into the offseason. And then I watched it again uh, this year. So, I mean, this week I meant. So, it was uh, just kind of those those two times. And then, I mean, obviously, we have them in cut-ups and stuff like that when we're looking at certain plays or certain breakdowns. But uh, as far as through and through, I think just those two times. You mentioned Tyreek. He had a really big game, regular season game up there, and they did a really nice job against him last time. That's what they're good at. Yep. Finding something and taking it away. I mean, what's that chess game like during the week? Get yourself ready to make sure that you can get your best players in a position where they can't take them away. Yeah, you have to, you have to prepare for whatever they're going to do. If that's going to be doubling Tyreek, doubling Kelsey, doubling Sam, or whatever it is, we just have to prepare ourselves to be able to move those guys around and, and get them and get them open in the best way that we think possible. Uh, but uh, I think the, the biggest thing is just taking what's there. And, uh, I mean, if you watch the Texans game, I mean, they were doubling Hopkins a lot, and they were doing stuff to take away him. And, he, and Deshaun hit Kenny Stills or Will Fuller. And, and you just have to take what's there whenever, whenever it comes down to it. Obviously, we want to get Tyreek the ball in any way possible. But uh, uh, whenever they do, do whatever they can to take him away. It's about these other guys stepping up and making plays. Uh, what, what influence has uh, Eric Gammy had on this offense and, and on you the last couple of years? Yeah, I think the, the details and the way he's able to kind of control the room and, and get the best out of every single player is, is a big thing. I mean, he's he, he holds you to a high standard. He holds you to the standard that you, you need to be perfect with every single rep that you get in practice. And I think that that details and that, that standard that he holds everybody to elevates everyone's game. A couple more guys. Nationally, I think people talk about every year this could be the last year of Tom Brady. Is that something that maybe the competitiveness in you thinks about? This could be my last crack at getting a W over who's the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah, I mean, 
I've known for a while that it's not going to be the last year anytime soon. I mean, he's still playing at a, a high level, and there, I mean, in, unless he just doesn't want to play, which I don't see. I mean, I, I guess I expect to see him for a, uh, at least a couple more years. And I mean, whenever you play play a guy like, like this who's who's won all these these championships, you want to go out there and give your best effort, of call, obviously, and you want to try to find a way to win. But uh, at the same time, it's a team it's a team game, and we're going to go out there and just try to do whatever we can to come out with the win. Patrick, you've faced a lot of elite defensive players so far this season. Just Gilmore, just what stands out about his game and what he's able to do inside their defensive scheme? Yeah, I think I think the understanding that he has, uh, I mean, of, of the defense is what's the biggest thing for me. I mean, he really understands what the offenses are trying to do, and he tries to take that away, and he understands what's going on not only with his guy but with the, the, the pass rush or the other guys around him. And I think that's that's the biggest thing that's ha- had him had this such a great, great season this year and last year. And, I mean, he's obviously – physically gifted the way he's able to play man coverage, zone coverage, or whatever it is, but he understands the whole concept of the defense, and he understands what the offense is trying to do to exploit it. That's what Karen. Cause for cleats. Yours aren't in there in the other room, mm-hmm. so can you tell us a little bit about how important it is for you, and what are yours going to look like? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a surprise, but uh, it's going to go with the, the, the foundations that I kind of wear with my wristbands and, and my foundation as well and try to to help them out as best as possible. But, I mean, it, it'll be a surprise on what the colors will be. Uh, I will wear them probably the Denver game. But, uh, yeah, hopefully we get those in soon. Mahomes and his cleats for charity, a good way to end the episode. Thanks to Derek Donovan for producing today's show, and links to the stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. And where you can leave a rate and review, please do that. It helps. We'll be back Thursday for another Sports Beat KC, where we talk sports in Kansas City every day.